Hello, everyone. I'm so excited. Welcome to the weekly show of What is School for? On this show, by the way, the show is inspired by my interview with Seth Golden. I always feel like I need to give him the credit because I literally got the word from Seth Golden. So on this show, I interview leading education professionals, educators, teachers, students, parents, homeschoolers, unschoolers, traditional students, entrepreneurs, business owners. And we come here, we discuss, debate, and disrupt education. The goal is to future-proof the next generation. So before we dive into today's topic, I want to give my eight years old a quick shout out because he got this top for me and he's watching us live in the live audience. And he used his <laughs> own money from selling stuff on eBay. So, so I just want to give him a quick shout out. And speaking of which, we are talking about how to raise successful people. And uh, we have the best guest of honor join us live. Esther Wojcicki, known as the godmother of Silicon Valley. I am a huge fan. I can barely contain <laughs> my excitement. I'm trying to not sound so crazy. But Esther uh, is a teacher, is an award-winning educator, uh, spent almost four decades in education and she's the CEO of Global Moonshots and also the founder of Palo Alto High Journalism and is also a faculty member at Singularity University, which is another thing I'm a big fan of. And uh, Esther has two really popular books on parenting and education. Uh, one is How to Raise, oh, I can't really see that, How to Raise Successful People, <laughs> and which is the book that we are going to discuss today. And uh, I love the book and uh, amazing book. And the other one is uh, Moonshots in Education. So you are going to walk away from today's interview with a much better understanding of some of the old practices in education that need to be disrupted. <laughs> how to educate our children in the 21st century. And we are also going to discuss Esther, Esther's uh, trick method that she used to raise three very, very, very successful children. One of them is the CEO of YouTube. By the way, we're also live on YouTube. And the other <laughs> one is uh, the CEO of 23andMe. And the third one is a doctor who is uh, trying to solve the obesity issue. I love that. And uh, so uh, I am so excited. We have people from the US, from Australia, from Brazil. Amazing. So let me know in the comment section where you are joining us live from. And without any further ado, Esther, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for that enthusiastic, fantastic interview introduction. I only, I only showed half of my excitement because I don't want to sound too crazy, but I love, love, love you. <laughs> anyway, when I love like, your energy and your enthusiasm. Honestly, it's contagious. It's so great. <laughs> Thank you so much. And uh, we are live on LinkedIn. We are live on YouTube. Oh my God. Uh, we are live <laughs> on Periscope and also on Facebook. We already have quite a few people join us live right, right now. So let's get started. I know you are very, very busy. So as I mentioned earlier, you know, you have been in education for almost four decades. And I have only been in education for 10 years. So in comparison, I'm just like a baby. <laughs> and you are such a, a pioneer 
in like moving us forward, showing us how should we show up as teachers, as parents in the 21st century. So I want to start our uh, discussion by asking you, what do you think are some old practices in education that are no longer serving today's students and learners? And those practices need to be disrupted. That's right. Well, the, the number one old practice that needs to be disrupted is the lecture-based model. Lecturing for an hour every day to students about your topic, I can tell you that after the first 15 minutes, they're all dreaming about what they could do on the weekend mm -hmm. and what they're gonna do as soon as they get out of your class. And so I would suggest that this methodology, this lecture-based model needs to be modified maybe could be cut back to maybe 15 minutes, something like that. <laughs> because, you know, our, first of all, our attention span is limited now, more limited than it used to be. Everybody wants something, you know, in the tweet formula, you know, so they want to find out about it like right away. And so we don't want to encourage that to be all the time. But honestly, an hour is too long for the lectures. And can you imagine those poor kids they're in school for seven hours. So they have one lecture after another, after another. Can we change that? <laughs> oh my God, I love that. I personally agree with you so much. You know, I believe the stage on the stage model is really, really broken. So I, I so agree with that. I, I, I can't, you know, even for me, when I sit through trainings, one hour, I'm like, oh my God, this is like too much. So I, I really agree with you. And in your book, and you actually shared uh, a much better approach to raise our own children and also as teachers, which is called Trick. I really love the name. So do you mind uh, sharing with us what is the Trick method and what is this about? And give us some examples if you can, that would be great. Okay, so let me explain Trick. Um, trick is a method that I came up with. Um, actually, I did it instinctively when I was raising my daughters. And then I transferred it to the classroom when I first started teaching in 1984. And uh, you know, for a long time, I didn't really understand what I was doing because a lot of times people do things and they're like, it's gut reaction and they don't really understand what they're doing or why it works or so forth. Why do people react this way to me? Why don't they react to other people? You know, there's all kinds of issues. So it took me a while to figure it out mm -hmm. and to come up with the acronym. And I did that when I was writing my books, because I had to come up with some way that other people could understand it. And because I was getting these questions all the time and the questions were like, why are your, why are your classes so big? Why does everybody want to be in your class? And I, and I was like, well, I don't know. And are you just giving them a lot of pizza every day? <laughs> and I was like, well, that would be really simple if I could just do that, but no, it's not pizza. And so, TRIC stands for trust, respect, independence, collaboration, and kindness. And so what I do is I trust my students. I respect their ideas, no matter how wacky they are, because some of those wacky ideas turn out to be good ideas. Mm -hmm. I give them a lot of independence to work on projects of their choice that are related to the curriculum. I uh, collaborate with them on all rules for the class. So the way the class runs is not just based on what I think, it's based on what they think too. So it's a collaboration. And then I treat them with kindness because everyone makes mistakes. Everyone needs to be forgiven. Everybody 
these things, you know, the first thing they have to do is forgive themselves for making a mistake. And so I work on that. And one of the ways that I work on forgiving yourself for making a mistake is I don't grade on the first attempt. I give kids an opportunity to revise and revise and revise. So I'm doing journalism now, but I have done taught English. I've taught social studies. I've taught science and I've taught math. And it works in all those areas, you know, revision. People learn when they make mistakes and then they do it again. And that's what school is all about. I mean, if you don't make any mistakes, my question has always been, well, why are you in school? Perhaps you shouldn't be here, you know, if you already know everything. Um, so that's one of my, that's what the trick method is. And it works really well in parenting. It works really well in school. And it also works really well for managers and leaders in the corporate world. I, I love that. I would love to hear some examples because in the book, you mentioned quite a few, like some students, uh, they took your class, but they were really struggling in other classes. But because the way you are teaching is very different, and they thrived. So I wonder if you can share an example or like from your own classroom or with your own children with us. So, um, <clears throat> yes, I, I do have. Um, examples. I'll give you an example from my classroom. Um, so years ago, I had a student um, who was put into my class. You know, they, the programs just put people in the classes and, there's, and they used to track the classes. So they had a high level, medium level, low level class. And it was track ABC or something like that. And this student uh, was in my class, was in a top class, A level class. And um, it took me about two weeks of his work and so forth to realize he was in the wrong class, you know, that he really belonged in the lowest class, not the upper class. And um, so I wanted to move him to the lower class and I talked to him about it. Mm -hmm. And he, by that time, he'd already bonded. He was like, not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here with you. It's like, uh, oh, okay, okay. Well, I said, if you want to do that, you have to stay, spend every day after school working with me because I have to help you catch up. Mm. Can you believe it? That kid did that. He, because what it was to him is that I believed in him. And I think that that's what so many kids need. They need someone they respect who believes in them, who's willing to help them. And this is a pretty big success story because this kid then ended up graduating and getting a full scholarship to college. Mm -hmm. And um, he never would have gone anywhere if he hadn't found this just one person who could have believed in him and helped him. And so that's what I try to remind all teachers, you know, let's not be so judgmental. You know, you never know. Kids are like, they're, they're like flowers that are blooming and you don't know exactly how they're gonna bloom. And so uh, that's one example from my class on, you know, believing in kids and from my uh, own, you know, bringing up my own children. My number one goal when they were born was to teach them to be independent and believe in themselves. And they learned that really early on. I mean, at times when most kids weren't doing anything, I always thought that things around the house were ways to teach kids to, you know, to be helpful and to feel like they're part of the team and to believe in themselves. Mm -hmm. And so early, I mean, my kids were two years old and three years old, and they could get up in the morning and fix their own breakfast. And this was kind of somewhat of a selfish thing from my perspective, because it gave me an opportunity to sleep for another hour. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but it also gave them this opportunity to feel really empowered. They knew how to pour cereal out of a box, how to get the milk out of the refrigerator. I put it in small containers. And then to turn the TV on, they watched Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers. And so I would come downstairs and they were happily eating breakfast and watching Mr. Rogers. It's like, what else could I ask for? <laughs> you know? And so I, my theory has always been to collaborate with my kids. Whenever we had an issue, we always worked together. I took them shopping. They would always help me make decisions about what to buy, even when they were really little. So um, that is where the trust and respect comes. You know, I respected their ideas, no matter how wacky they are. Mm -hmm. um, and well, I gave, of course, they weren't dangerous ideas, but I gave them a lot of opportunity to be heard. <sighs> Everybody wants to be heard. And that's the same thing in my classes. No matter what, you have the right and opportunity to be heard. I'm going to listen to you and what you need and what your ideas are and what if you have a problem, just let me know. Let's see whether we can't work, work it out. So um, I think that that had what it did for kids taking my class is that um, this sense of self and sense of empowerment mm. transferred to their other classes because they like their idea was, well, maybe I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe I can just work a little harder at this and it'll work. Or maybe maybe people really do like me. Um, you know, the sense that you are good, that people like you, that you're okay, that your ideas are good, that is so important. And one of the reasons people are so afraid, number one reason they're afraid to talk in front of other people. Did you know that's the number one fear, giving a public talk? That's right, it's yeah. Be it's because they're so worried about what other people think. Yeah. And they think the bigger the audience, the more possibility is all those people not agreeing with them or thinking badly about them. And the idea is just believe in yourself. We, we need you to believe in yourself. You are better than you think you are. Oh. And that's part of my philosophy. And that's why it worked in the classroom. Oh, I love those are really powerful examples. I know in the book, you also talked about how you allowed your grandchildren, I forgot how old they are, and to actually shop on their own at Target. When I heard that, I was like, wow, that is quite an eye-opening experience, I'm sure, for the children to practice their own, you know, you give them autonomy to practice their own agency, you know, deciding what they want to purchase. Very, very interesting. Yeah, totally. So here is uh, a question uh, from my dear friend Pam. And actually, uh, I, uh, she asked, you know, how can you use this in an environment where uh, that is so exam centric, right? So I actually have a very similar question. In one of your talks, you said that so powerfully, life is a series of projects, not a series of tests. And uh, I taught in the classroom for 10 plus years. And the questions I heard a lot from my own students are, Dr. I, will this be on the exam? Dr. I, is this an A idea? Is this a C idea? Or is it like a B idea, right? Questions like that all the time. So I wonder if you can share with us, like, like how do you like battle that? How do you apply this, uh, this very unique method in an environment that is kind of against this type of innovative evaluation? So that's a great question. And one of the things that I talk about in my book and actually other places is that the testing system 
needs to be revised. Mm -hmm. The because what's going on is the teachers are teaching to the test, mm -hmm. and then the parents are really worried about the test scores, and everybody wants the students to pass these tests, and the questions on the tests no longer relate to the real world. I mean, we're learning things on those tests that are, you know, obsolete. They're out of date. So we really need to reconsider what we're doing on the tests. So one of the main things I talk about is switching the testing from the SAT type of multiple choice test mm -hmm. to mastery tests, mastery learning, project-based tests, where the learning is embedded in the project itself. I can just give you an example. You know, during the pandemic, you know, all the classes have been on Zoom and they've all been really difficult for a lot of people. Um, and what I decided to do, actually, I didn't really decide, it was a collaboration with the students. They decided to do is instead of me running the Zoom calls or my colleague Rod Satterwhite running or any of us running teachers, hey, how about putting the kids in charge of the Zoom call? What about mm -hmm. that? Turns out that worked out really well. The kids are in charge of the Zoom call. And so then all the kids want to be there because who do they really miss when they're at school? Their friends. Right. They don't miss the teacher. They miss their friends. So um, as a result of this, they came up with the idea that in spite of the fact that they were all stuck at home and the pandemic was really raging everywhere, they were still going to publish the newspaper that they published on time, the regular way, coming out in hard copy, 24 pages, three sections, full-size newspaper, and they were all going to do it from home, mm -hmm. from home. And they, that meant they had to coordinate everything. This was not my idea, I can tell you. It was a lot of work. Their idea. They collaborated, they coordinated, and the paper came out. Can you believe that? Beautiful paper on the 29th of May, a graduation issue. And so I think when you give kids control and power, they achieve amazing things. But just look at the testing skills that those kids learned. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's writing, all different kinds of writing styles, all kinds of research styles, how to use the internet, how to use Zoom mm -hmm. calls to collaborate, how to collaborate using Adobe products, InDesign, Photoshop, Illustrator, all those products. They had to use them from their home. I bet you couldn't, I, I bet any of the people here on this call or this um, webinar could not possibly even think about how to do that. And they figured it out. And they figured it out because they had the belief in themselves that they could do it. They could figure out how to do it. And that's what you wanna do is you wanna give kids enough control so they can figure it out. Then that testing, it's actually, the skills are embedded in what they're doing. And so instead of teaching directly to the test, they're using those skills. So my students test at the top, 99th percentile, not because I was teaching how to spell, how to punctuate, how to read, how to analyze. I was like, hey, use it, do it, find it. And then, you know, and then it makes sense. But anyway, for most of the world, I think that that testing is counterproductive. Let's put it that way. It doesn't do what people want it to do. 
Oh, I so agree. I actually did some research and I will share this. I will share my screen in a second. So actually, you know, many parents I talk to, they think that, oh, you know, academic performance is the only thing that my children need to be future ready. But like so much research has shown that, like, for example, this article, you know, like GPA is actually inversely correlated with their uh, our children's ability to innovate, to be creative. Like this one I found is really interesting, you know, Google executives saying that they are, they, they, they mean nothing, right? So it's really, <laughs> really interesting. We, we'll see studies like that. And then we'll go back. Uh, I can share the links in the comment section if everyone wants to check them out. And then we'll go back to the classroom, like like big gaps, right? So So why do you think that is the case? Well, it's so let's look at who's involved in the testing. It's called Educational Testing Service. It's a it's a for-profit company. Mm -hmm. And you know, they're trying they don't want to they don't want to lose any money. Mm -hmm. You know, like nobody wants to lose money. And so just this spring, the AP test couldn't be taken because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But they don't want to lose their money. No, they're not going to give you back. You paid that. We're going to keep it. So then they arranged some kind of an online modified test so they could still keep your money. I mean, it's a it's a business. That's one of the things. And they don't want to let the SAT and the PSAT and the LSAT and, and all these tests just mm -hmm. check out how much money they are making. It's a huge company. So that's one of the things we're running against. And so that's why Mastery Connect Consortium, the Mastery Consor Consortium that's trying to change the testing they need to have a little bit more support they also need to make money so more people will take their tests mm -hmm. um but that's one of the things that i think we need to consider and also uh, a driver to change the system would be one of those articles like you published that google said that the mm -hmm. gpa and the testing it's worthless in hiring it really is it's the character of the person their ability to believe in themselves, their grit, their ability to work with other people, those social emotional skills. Oh my God, they're so important. And, um, you know, you can't teach social emotional skills to a 30 year old, but you can teach them to a three year old. And so that's what you should work on. And that's what you work on when they're small children, you know, age five to 12, social emotional skills. That's so important. I, I, I so agree. You, again, you uh, another talk that you gave, you talked about this, which I so agree, which is as AI and technology become more and more prevalent, there is actually an increasing demand for human skills. And uh, I think it is so true. I mean, I have worked with people who are really smart on the IQ side, like, for example, coding technology, but they're so bad on the EQ side. I can't work. I cannot collaborate there horrible to work with <laughs> no <laughs> that's right everybody knows this they the whole world knows this so why don't we focus on social emotional skills empathy compassion kindness all those skills are so important today and the skills that you were talking about you know these the skills where are just basically learning that you can learn and you know those skills are much easier to learn. It's much easier to learn how to punctuate than it is to turn teach somebody to how to be a compassionate person. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I so agree. Yeah, so I definitely have I have more questions related to uh, soft skills. I see that I'm trying my best to catch up on everyone's question, everyone. So just be patient with me. I see that we have a few questions related to homeschooling coming up, given that everyone is homeschooling right now. Uh, Lucy Lenny joining us live from Brazil. Thank you so much. And uh, so she asked, you know, like, uh, do you believe schools are really like innovating? And uh, like how much, uh, I guess, what difference can homeschooling make in terms of the overall uh, education landscape? And so here's a similar question from Vicky, joining us live from the US. And uh, so she asked, how will the stay at home, like mandates uh, from the COVID change the entire educational system? And in terms of how children learn, like our children, they are thriving with homeschooling and they love it. We do lots of projects, personalized learning. So yeah, so I wonder uh, if you can share something in terms of how homeschooling and uh, how this is going to maybe bring some positive changes to today's education landscape. So a lot of people wanna know if we're gonna go back to the same old system when this is over, hopefully this will be over. And my answer is no, it won't, we'll not go back to the same system. First of all, the number of teachers that are quitting in the US is just overwhelming. 20% are just like, I'm done. I'm not gonna go back anymore. I'm part of the stats, yeah, I'll quit. <laughs> and, and secondly, I think that people will realize that if you give kids more agency, more control, and work on projects, they will be more effective and happier learners. So even when we go back to school, um, what's gonna happen is that the teachers are going to be using technology as projects on the side. So they'll trust technology more than they ever did before. They mm -hmm. said, you used to see all the teachers saying that they were using technology. But the fact is when this pandemic hit, if they were using technology, why were so many of them not able to use it? <laughs> I think it was just, it was kind of a joke. It wasn't true. But now they are using it. And I think one of those questions is, are we really going to change? Is the innovation really going to happen? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, before we were talking about innovation in education, but now we are forced to be innovative. Mm -hmm. And that's very different than it was before, mm -hmm. because there is no, no way that you cannot change because the whole system has forced you to change. And with regard to homeschooling, you know, one of the number one drawbacks of homeschooling is that there's not a lot of social interaction. Mm -hmm. because the child is together with you or together with their siblings and not a lot. So one of the th main things that school does is provide a place for social interaction. Mm -hmm. And that is so important for kids in learning social emotional skills. I mean, you know how excited they are to see their friends. You know, you, you can have a huge party for them with adults and then a little event for friends and they'll only wanna go to the little event because the friends are there. That's right. Uh, so I think that school will change. I think there will be, first of all, will be more technology involved, hopefully more project learning involved, mm -hmm. more self-learning. Because what are kids should be, what should people be learning? What should you be getting out of this education system that we have? You should know how to be a self-learner. You should know how to go online and find the resources that you need 
how to judge whether they're credible resources or not credible. You should be able to to pace yourself, mm. you know, how to time, how long it takes you to do things. All those skills are so important as a self-learner. And so I think parents can continue to do some of the self-learning at home and the home school uh, people can continue. I think it's very effective, mm. but we still need those schools because we still need kids to meet other kids. We need a social place. Maybe it won't be called school, but it's gonna be called something where they all get together and then work on a project or work on something together. So. Yeah, I, I love this. I know, by the way, just uh, my friend Rich Carr joined us live. They have a, also unique a brain-centric design method. And, uh, you know, they call it like a learning space. I think we still need kind of that learning space and where our students can still socialize because, you know, yesterday I had a conversation with another amazing educator. I learned uh, that, uh, like, based on her research, actually, if your children, our children are just watching like pre-recorded videos, like many of the online learning platforms do, and we are actually not helping them developing important 21st century skills, such as collaboration. I know you are a big advocate of this, which is so true. Like my eight years old, and when we give him those, like, you know, even Khan Academy, those pre-recorded videos, he told us, Mommy, this does not work. I love collaborative learning. And this is so boring. It is now engaging. So I really agree. I think we have to figure out a way uh, to allow children to do that type of like self-paced. But at the same time, there is that, you know, whatever we call it, you know, learning space, school for children to engage in social interaction. That is really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think that is a great point that many parents, including myself, you know, the early days, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So I just saw you had a question about from somebody who said, does work it out mean a challenge? And um, honestly, I do think that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, we help our kids too much. And, you know, they can actually work it out. They can work it out sometimes much better than you can. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I talked about early on in this pandemic is that every single person, if you have a child that is eight-year-old or older, you have like a little tech genius right there in the house and you know let them help out they can figure out this stuff like in a flash and and then they can teach you i mean i just want you to know how many of these parents that are watching can use snapchat mm. you know or or how about can you make a tiktok video or you know there's all these things that kids can do the gaming platforms Maybe we don't want them to be on gaming platforms for a long time. But one of the things we did, or I did with my grandchildren, you want to be a gamer? That's a great idea. Whatever you want to do. Hey, let's. you're going to have to build a gaming computer if you want to build it, be a gamer. Can you believe this? From scratch, two of them have already built, built from scratch their own gaming computer. I mean... Can you imagine all the learning? And one of them is 10 and he's already done <laughs> doing that. Um, so I think what you want to do is that they're gaming all the time. Say for every hour you game, you spend an hour learning how to program games, mm -hmm. how to build games. And th you know, they're not, in, they're not against it. They like that idea. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff online, coding, teaching them to code. Um, you know, even learning a foreign language today, mm -hmm. it's so much fun. 
I mean, there's so many language platforms out there. And um, I mean, kids can learn a language if you if that's something that is important to you or needs to be part of the curriculum. Um, there's a lot of opportunity for self-learning challenges that kids can work out themselves, you know, and if, if you don't work it out yourself, you don't feel empowered. So yeah. I would say that. Yeah, I, I mean, like, it is so true. I mean, I, after even hosting this show, for quite a few episodes, I learned a lot from other parents, educators like yourself, very successful. And they mentioned that the, the question they ask their children a lot is, can you figure this out? So I love it, you know, how you are like, hey, build a, instead of always consume, 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 actually create, create, create. So I love that. I also, yeah, you wanna say something? I just want to say figuring it out is one of the most important things. Don't take that opportunity away from kids. And if it takes them a long time to figure it out, let them do it. Oh, that's so, so true. Oftentimes, you know, as a teacher, I notice I'm guilty of this myself. I tend to say too much because it is easier. You know, if I show you ABC, it's so much easier. I just need to really hold myself, you know, pause, stop and let our children figure it out. So I love it. So going back, I see this question. I just saw it from Pam. She was asking, going back to what you mentioned earlier regarding creating that social atmosphere for our children. So what is uh, your answer to her question? Can we build a social infra infrastructure into our communities so they don't have to go into a silo to be social? What do you think? I think it would be great if we could do that, build an infrastructure into our communities where they can go. I mean, you know, I one of the things I'm trying to do in California is to develop the idea of having we work spaces in the schools. And this would be a place where kids can go and work together on whatever it is they want to work on. And I mean, it, it is it is kind of amazing what they can come up with if they're given this opportunity. Yes, we should build this into our community. It's just a social space. I mean, sometimes the libraries today have turned into places where you just find books to places where you can actually have something to drink, you can access mm -hmm. a computer, you can work with your friends. Um, it would be great if the libraries could transition to the 21st century and not just have books, be a social gathering place for communities. And, um, and you know, if we need to have, you know, they can have coffee shop or cookie shop or I don't know, whatever they want. and. And, and and empower people to come there and to meet. And um, as soon as this pandemic is over, which I hope is over like very soon. <laughs> I hope so too, but I really love this WeWork idea. I, I, I so agree. I mean, like, you know, like for me, when I think about it, like a traditional university, like this is a communication school, this is a business school, which always look fancier. And this is the education <laughs> department, right? And we're so like geographically separated from each other. I spent four years at Syracuse University, not Syracuse, University of Maryland, getting my PhD. And I only went to three places, my own communication department, the library, the gym, that's it. I had no idea what was happening, right? So I love this, creating this just, geographically you know, in terms of spatial arrangement to make it easier for cross-disciplinary communication to happen. I love that. Yeah, I think it would be great if we could do something like that. And so when we're planning the schools for the 21st century, that needs to be included in there. 
And you know, we don't have to rebuild the schools. We just have to redesignate some of the places that are already there as we we work spaces or spaces yeah, where yeah, we can have like every. Yeah, invite people like you, you know, educators who are actually in the classroom to design like school, not just like architect or developers, but actually people who are on a daily basis, uh, intimately like interacting with our students. And so I saw another comment regarding, you know, we were talking about earlier, like exams, standardized exams, you know, we know that that is bad. But for quite a few parents that I talk with, and even like students, they are already so used to the old way of thinking, right? So like learning means getting an A. So what are some ways that we can help them like get out of that state of being, that state of mind and to actually, I see another question, to cultivate them, you know, intrinsic desires to learn, to make them become self-motivated, not always based on reward or punishment, but actually show up as a passionate, ready to learn and eager learner. You know, you know, the number one thing that drives learning and passion is interest in something, mm -hmm. interest. And so my theory with my students and, you know, I have 700 students in this media arts program, 10 different publications. Um, and what drives that? is whatever those kids want to write about, whatever they want to do. And there was one year, it was in 2012, that I had a group of students who wanted to write about how to braid your hair. Mm -hmm. I was like, uh, okay. And, and, then, and then, okay, that was the first thing. And the other thing they wanted to do is write about innovative recipes that they were going to bake at home and then try, you know, like, putting things together. Look, I, I said, if you really want to do this, that's fine. We, you want to start a magazine based on braiding hair and cookies? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm not sure anybody's going to read it, but if you want to try, be my guest. So the number one, number one way to do that, the platform, they know how to do that, but they have to raise the money. They know how to raise money too. I also teach how to get advertising and all that. They put together a magazine and I said, after it came out, it's like, oh, it's just, I hope somebody's going to read this. It was the most popular magazine on campus. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? Mm -hmm. It was shocking. Everybody else wanted to have it. So today, this magazine won Gold Crown Award from Columbia to 2020. It's been ex in existence for eight years or so. And, you know, so who knows? They expanded from that to fashion, and then to, um, you know, how to take care of your pets. I mean, I don't know, whatever they wanted to do. But what I had succeeded in doing is capturing their interest. Mm -hmm. And so what I think is important for everyone is to remember that all I had to do is get them interested in that one thing, braiding your hair. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I could expand everything. And um, some of them today, college graduates working in social media. So there. <laughs> I, I love it because it is so true. I think oftentimes when we think about learning, we work so much on our brain, our head, our mind. I think we are missing the heart. We also need to work on the heart. When the heart is ready, they are like motivated to learn. I like, make it really yeah. 
Yeah. Everybody, everybody says things like, oh, my kid, all he wants to do is stay in bed and do nothing. It's like, those are the kids that are really, everything that they've tried before, they met with no. <laughs> so honestly, say yes, try that. It works. It just yeah. really works. Yeah. Reminds me of what you just mentioned. Reminds me of my interview with Duncan Wardle, who serves as a former VP of innovation at Disney. He said that, say, don't always say no, because, but instead say yes, and yes, and, and I love that, you know, try that at home. Yeah, which is uh, really powerful. Try so, that, yeah. Yeah, so here's a question, kind of follow up on what you mentioned earlier from Kimberly. She asked if you can explain this way work space idea. And she's also a teacher herself. And uh, for her classes or maybe for an uh, online classroom, and uh, do you have some ideas you can share with us? Because I love this idea myself. So to do it in a classroom, what I do is just divide a certain part of the classroom. This is the WeWork space. And you know, when you're ready to go into the WeWork space, this is you know, where it is. Mm -hmm. and, um, I actually did that in my classroom multiple times where I just de devoted the back part of the room was a we workspace and you know you were in charge of your own self and your time and whatever you were doing there mm -hmm. with your friends mm -hmm. but to do it online um, is a little bit more complicated but what I would do is allow kids to do what my students did with the, the zoom calls you know they had their own zoom call Thank goodness they invited me because oh, otherwise, <laughs> otherwise, you know, this wouldn't be because it's supposed to be part of the school. I'm supposed to be doing it right. <laughs> At least I'm invited. Um, <laughs> but, but I would have them set up some kind of an online call or space where they can work together. One of the most important, one of the best learning prop um, programs out there is actually uh, Minecraft. I don't know if you played with Minecraft, but you know what is great about it is it's collaborative. Yes, you know the kids are doing it all online, and so whenever you can find any more projects like that that are online, where kids are working on it together, mm. that's going to be much more effective. So I'm working with some former students right now on a platform that we're developing. These former students are super smart, and they're already been through they're already been in business and they're like in their 30s and 40s and we're trying to develop a platform where kids can do exactly that projects working together kind of minecraft on steroids mm -hmm. and uh with more things for kids to work on not just building from you know virtual legos but other projects oh my god i have goosebumps this is so exciting yeah, I'm actually really excited and I'm I'm excited about the students. You know, these are people that, you know, my students stay in touch, which is great. And, um, you know, I have like thousands of them at this point. Um, and so that whenever they see some idea that they think is a good idea, oh my God, they're like, I want to come back and help you do this. And and how can I help? And what can I do? And I was like, well, well, don't quit your job yet. But please, you know, let's let's see if you can do it on the side. And then maybe later you can we can do it. Anyway, these people have already quit their jobs and now they're working on this. Incredible. Like I love how you, you know, I watch so quite so many videos from you. And I love seeing the open space environment. And uh, oftentimes, you know, if I don't know you, I, I couldn't even tell who is the teacher, who is the student. Everyone's like in the same space working on different, definitely not like a traditional classroom, you know, 
the teacher, the seat on the stage, you can literally tell and then like rows of students. I, I love that. I think you have done such a great job at uh, creating this very safe space for students to learn, to share their frustrations, to make mistakes. And I, I think that is something we all need to strive to create that safe learning space, regardless at home, like at school or like at home, right? Like give our children that space. So I, I really love that, yeah. And I can't wait, my son, he is a big fan of Minecraft. So actually yesterday I had a conversation with a, with a parent and he said that like his children are always like, doing the boring schoolwork and can't wait to finish the boring schoolwork so that the children can play Minecraft. And, you know, like I think a better conversation we have is can we make Minecraft an educational platform? I just, did I just lose her? <laughs> I think I just uh, lost. Yeah, but this is, has been, a, a, maybe her phone is dead or something. But it's interesting, right? Talking about Minecraft. And uh, so the, the conversation I had with the parent yesterday, and I was like, you know, why can't you make Minecraft also an educational component? You know, do some learning and Esther mentioned, you know, some coding and some learn to design, learn to create games. I think that's uh, very, very interesting, very interesting. And uh, am I just me talking or? Okay, so just hold on for a second. I think she's trying to things to do in order to raise successful people. And I don't know what happened. I we are supposed to, this is now how we are supposed to wrap up. But let's wait for a few minutes and to see if she's going to come back. And I'm going to share with you that oh, I was sharing earlier. So let me do a quick screen share. And then so her book. And she actually has two books. And uh, one is, uh, let me share my screen and then see if she is going to come back. And I read uh, uh, one of the two books. Let me know, stop sharing. So let me share my screen. Oh, she's back. So I couldn't figure out <gasps> if it was you or me. So anyway, I changed locations just in case it was, a, it was me. <laughs> Uh, adaptabilities thank you for coming back yes. <laughs> you know you never give up you know, <laughs> so, I, yes I love it love it thank you so here is uh, another question and uh so from vicky what are your top three things to do in order to raise successful children i mean like wealthy daughters you know ceo 23 and me and a doctor like really amazing and your own students so many of your own students they are also as you mentioned earlier very very successful industry leaders so share like what are the top three things that you do or you facilitate in order to help them grow to become so successful well i think the number one thing is um giving them independence teaching them to be self-reliant it's so important um, because when you're doing that it's not like you're trying to make them work more or you know sometimes people they project onto their kids things that really are not what the kids are thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, when you are when you give kids an opportunity to do something even as simple as you know make the dessert for the dinner tonight, mm -hmm. what you're doing is saying to them, you know, I believe that you have those capabilities that you can come up with something good, mm -hmm. and you know why don't you try? Usually they make a mess in the kitchen, but so who cares? Um, but I think number one is giving them a lot more responsibility and independence. 
I, I love that. Like, you I mean, again, everyone should check out the book. Let me share the link. You give so many examples in the book that I, I feel really inspired. So we only have a few minutes left. And I want to talk about, you know, we discussed some issues. And one thing you did mention a, a little bit is, like, what are some of the skills that we need to teach our children today? You know, you, you mentioned the collaboration already, but you have this 4C that we need to teach our children today. So, so I if you can, yeah, explain the 4Cs to so us. So let me tell you what the 4Cs are. The 4Cs are, first of all, collaboration, communication, critical thinking, and creativity. Those are really important. You cannot be creative if you aren't willing to take a risk mm -hmm. and if you and when you take a risk you are vulnerable and so vulnerability is what most people are afraid of because they're mm -hmm. afraid that they're going to be you know criticized which is part of why i say you need to be kind because these kids are taking a risk and they're going to make a mistake but then they'll stop again and they'll redo it and so that is it's all part of the same system so you give them independence, you let them collaborate with each other and with you if you want and treat them with kindness, no matter what. It's so important. And then th that's where the creativity will come. Critical thinking is basically, you know, can you differentiate one important fact from another? That's what I t teach when students gather all this information and then they have to write a story. And then when they're writing that story, the question is, what is the most important information that you have gotten? Mm -hmm. What is the most important information of all? And um, you have to figure that out. You know, is it when that person was born? Do mm -hmm. we really care when they were born? Or is it what they're doing today? Is mm -hmm. it the, the things they've said and what they're doing? Mm -hmm. And so just practicing that is always helpful. Um, and let's see, um, communication is also the, the key. Everybody wants to know how to deal with their teenager. Number one thing, keep channels of communication open. Keep those channels open because mm -hmm. otherwise, and don't be so willing to tell them that they did it wrong mm -hmm. because then they're not going to tell you. They won't talk mm -hmm. to you. There's the traditional teenager comes home and parents says, so how was school? The answer, oh, fine. And they go in the room and close the door. No, that is the reason they say that is because they're afraid of what you're going to say. You know, if you're more open and you're not so critical, then they'll communicate with you. So you want oral communication. You want written communication. You want communication online. You want them to know how to communicate most effectively in the world because communication, mm -hmm. it's, it's everything. Mm -hmm. I love that. I remember in one of the interviews, I think one of your daughters actually mentioned and they went to an event or something and they were surprised to discover that they were the only children who openly shared everything with, the, with you when they were younger. So I was like, wow, that is really interesting. It made me reflect on my own parenting approach and how well am, am I communicating with my own children, especially as children become older and you know, become teenagers. So, yeah. Right. You, you just want them, you always want them to think you're on their side, mm -hmm. that whatever it is that's going on, you're going to help them. And if it's something negative, you're going to help them get out of it. If it's something mm -hmm. positive, you're going to support them, whatever it is. And, you know, that example you were talking about earlier that I just, it's one of the most popular examples of my book. I just wanted to 
uh, finish up with this. It's when I let my two eight, nine-year-old grandchildren go to Target by themselves. I dropped them off and I said, who knows best what you need for back to school supplies? You. So I'm dropping you off and you're going to go shopping. And when you're done, call me and then I'll bring the credit card. That was, that was the example in the book that everybody was like most shocked about. It's because I trusted them. I believed in them. And I never thought of Target as a dangerous place. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I don't think most stores are dangerous places. Mm. So it's okay to give your kids that kind of independence and that support for coming up with some ideas that are theirs. I'll tell you, they'll, they'll be so appreciative. Yeah. They, will, they will really, and then they'll thrive. So those are the things that I want to make uh, you know value uh, make a point about and then with regard to this we work space hey maybe you can make we work spaces for your families you know places where kids can work independently on their own projects or maybe it could be part of a community space if we can't all go back to school maybe we can have some place in the community where kids can go and work yeah, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to implement that even like, you know, on Zoom, if you have a large class, there are so many breakout rooms. Why can't you make a breakout room like just like a brainstorming, a way workspace, right? And people can just come out sharing their ideas openly. That's right. It's a WeWork space for this Zoom call. Who wants to go into the WeWork space? And then they, exactly. whoever wants to go can go. And then that WeWork space is led by the kids. Yeah, exactly. I love this, you know, the first C, like again in the book and also in many of your interviews. So right now we're talking about the four C's, the trick method. Not only do they work at home, homeschooling, parenting or at school, but also in the corporate environment. Right. So I, I think, you know, the implication is like endless. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I see you have a, um, um, a viewer that says sounds like the four C's could be used in the American society today. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Somehow they managed to miss that in school. And so, yes, they should use that. Yeah, like my friend, uh, yes, oh, he's in, and in Brazil. Yes, for sure. Exactly. Oh. exactly. So true. And we only have about five minutes left. I want to spend some time talking about you actually have another book, uh, which is a Moonshots in Education. You are actually also the CEO of Global Moonshots. So I'm going to share the screen in a second, but share with us what does Moonshots in Education mean and what does your organization do? So we can help be a part of it or like learn from it and then support the movement. So um, what my first book did, Moonshots in Education, it was targeting teachers. The moonshot is basically based on JFK's talk, John F. Kennedy's yeah. talk, 1961. We need to get to the moon. It's a moonshot. I know it's really hard and I know it's really difficult and looks like impossible, but if we all work together, we can do it. And so that is one of the number one goals. We need a moonshot in education mm -hmm. and because we need to change education. And the sooner we change education, the better everybody is going to be worldwide. And mm -hmm. so I've tried to start a movement. That's right. It's a movement for all people everywhere to be part of this movement, to change education, to provide we work spaces for kids, to give them independence, to treat them with respect and kindness. It's so important. 
So yes, feel free to sign up on my website, globalmoonshots.org. And um, the goal is really to spread this worldwide. And exactly. uh, so the link is on the screen. Check it out. Yeah. Global I, Moonshots in Education. Yeah. I mean, you, what you just mentioned reminds me, you know, earlier you were talking about flowers. One of my favorite quotes is, when the flower is not blooming, do not blame the flower. Look at the environment in which the flower is growing. So I think that can be applied to the corporate environment, to our education environment for sure, because we are so good at labeling our children ADHD, this, this, and that, AC, right? So I think it's like what our conversation told me today is like it is time to re examine the environment in which our children are growing. Yeah. Yes, that's true. That is that is so important. And I I love this analogy. I'm going to use it. Thank you very much. You know, don't <laughs> yes, do not blame the flower. It's the environment. <laughs> what a perfect analogy. That's right. I love it. You just you're so kind. Yeah. So share with us uh, where can people learn more about you? I don't know which social media platform you are most active. So I have a link to you here on the screen. So share with us where can people learn more about you and from you. So I think LinkedIn is one. Um, the globalmoonshots.org is another one. And then I have a new newsletter that people might want to sign up to get. And it's on wajway.com. W-O-J, first three letters of my name, wajway.com. And um, there's a newsletter. I put it out once a week. And uh, that was the goal was to help parents get through this whole pandemic. Um, so I don't know. I've got a lot of, a lot of websites. And, yeah, um, <laughs> which is great. I mean, you're doing all the amazing work. You have no idea how excited I am for everyone to hear your message, for being here right now. So let me share the screen again. This watch away here. I think I just got it. Yeah, this watch. That, that's it. Watch. That's right. Time-saving parenting tips that work. That's it. Amen. Amen. This is what I need. I love learning about this. So I can't wait to subscribe. Yeah, I subscribe to all the other places. So I'm going to subscribe to this one. Yeah. Oh my God. This has been an incredible conversation. My role model, my superhero, and I just love your work resonated so much. I mean, you are much uh, braver than me. And because when I was trying to fight with the educational system, I quit, but you <laughs> did. And uh, you, even though you almost got fired, you continue to push uh, like such an inspiration for me. So everyone, thank you so much for joining us live. I appreciate you guys so much. So next Friday, we're going to go back to the normal time, which is 9 a.m. Pacific time and noon Easter time. And I have a homeschooler 13 years old on the show. He has already written 13 books, hosting a podcast, amazing entrepreneur himself. So definitely check us out next Friday uh, at noon or 9 a.m. And uh, have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you so much oh, for being us live. Well, thank you so much. This has been so incredible.